Lefondre looking to get side of Fon. Lefondre away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Royals preview podcast supported by Phantom Brewing Co. We are looking ahead today to the game this weekend against Burton Albion and to look forward to it, I've been joined by James Earnshaw. James, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. She's Alex, a bit under the weather, but I'll survive. Hopefully uh, you'll be able to make it to the game on Saturday, fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. Hope so. Something to look forward to the end of the week. It's been another week of positive and unpositive news, I guess, with Reading, hasn't it? It's always a roller coaster. Uh, if we look at kind of what's happened this week, we we lost away at Blackpool 4-1. Mm. And uh, I guess mood was quite low after that Blackpool loss within the fan base. Yeah, yeah, as usual. Um, you know, everything on the field kind of gets blown away by things off the field. And uh, losing 4-1 at Blackpool is not actually the worst thing that's probably happened this week, uh, which kind of goes to show how bad things are going off the field. Um Everyone in a quite a melancholic mood this week, I'd probably say, with fans on social media, and definitely seems like things have turned now to to every fan wanting action. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it as you say, the four-one loss wasn't even the worst thing that happened really during the week because it came out on I want to say Monday, James, uh, mm-hmm. that you found out about the fact that the tax to HMRC hasn't been paid again for the month, and the Reading are. I mean, this has to be the most pointless punishment currently. <laughs> Reading are under transfer embargo. I don't quite know how that works because we're already under a transfer mm. embargo, but um, that that's going to remain, James, until we've paid HMRC now, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the same one that we've had the last three, what, what, what twice over summer, I think we had it, where it stays for like a week until you eventually pay it and then it goes again. But then Reading is still under one for the next three windows anyway. So nothing will really change whether we do or don't pay HMRC. And then the the in other kind of payments needed, it is Reading FC's payday on mm. Friday before the game. Any indication as to whether that one's going to kind of go through or not, James? Uh, I've been told hopeful, uh, which is never, uh, you know, ironically hopeful is never particularly hopeful when you're talking about wages. It should be a given. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've, I've been told that, you know, they're not expecting it not to be paid, but they haven't had any assurances. That it definitely will be paid. Uh, so I think it's a case of wait and see what happens on Friday. Another fun filled day in the world of Reading, probably. Just just where you want to hear, isn't it? We might pay wages. We might not. We'll just see how we feel. Um, yeah, fingers crossed that that one that happens. I mean, obviously, keep your eyes peeled on the social media. I think on Friday will be the will be the key one, and obviously James will be able to bring it straight out to you if uh, if anything's missing on Friday. Fingers crossed, though. And as James said, Reading fans on social media this week have kind of gone into a very melancholic sort of state with. Uh, Lots of people posting stories around kind of how they're going to support in the club, James. And people put people have taken to the hashtag Reading FC in black with mm. the the weekend's game coming up. One of the actions for himself before we die this weekend is, is asking fans not to wear club colours and to, to come in black as a kind of mark of respect for Reading's history, as it were. And uh, you, you penned your own piece, and I know Paul. Paul did a kind of Reading FC monologue podcast, mm. which is, is definitely worth a listen if you haven't given it a listen. It's only 10 minutes. It's just Paul speaking. It's very kind of 
throwback era to the early days of the Umpire Rules podcasts. But yeah, you penned your own piece, James, and it's it's quite emotional seeing all of these people posting, you know, how, how they got into being a Reading fan and, you know, what it means to them currently. Yeah, no, definitely. Yesterday I was an emotional wreck reading through people's stories, people that you've never met, never even seen before in real life, but, you know, how we're all linked together uh, with this one passion uh, for Reading Football Club and, you know, the things that, that people will stand to lose if, if we lose Reading Football Club and why, you know, why now is a time to to stand up and be counted rather than sit there and think in, you know, three or four years time, I wish I'd done more to sit there and go, you know what, I've done all I can. Yeah. And I mean, I mentioned obviously one of the actions is, is asking people to turn up in black and not wearing club colours this weekend. And the other one is, is that there's going to be more disruption at, on, out on the field on, on Saturday, I think. And it appears kind of fairly likely people have, uh, been posting you know that they've been going out and buying tennis balls here there and everywhere i, I imagine sports directors having an absolute field day in, in berkshire currently and it, it's difficult kind of a, i guess james for there's clearly a there's some divide obviously within the fan base there is people who don't want you know disruption on the pitch but it it's one of those things where as you say if you don't pull together any kind of action then in a couple of years time how happy are you going to be with yourself? And uh, it's one where I think people will, you know, people will join in in greater numbers, hopefully this time. And I think we'll see more of a disruption again. Well, exactly. You know, we're, we're at a point now where you can't do nothing. You know, it might not work. You know, protests are, you know, difficult. And ultimately the only decision that will be made is whether die cells will be down to die. But, you know, you can't sit there and think, what if, and, you know, and sit there and, and think you've done nothing. Uh, at least you can, you know, sleep comfortably at night knowing you did all you could uh, if the worst was to happen. You know, obviously, you know, it's not at that point yet and we hope it doesn't have to get to that point. But, you know, action and fans need to have their voices heard. And, uh, you know, it's better than, than sitting your hands and doing nothing. I mean, where are we, James, at the minute with kind of like current investment opportunities for from outsiders, takeovers, etc.? Is there any kind of update that you've got for, for anybody out there? Yeah, nothing more really than, than John Percy put out yesterday, the Telegraph. So there's definitely three or four groups that are interested. Um, but it's just a case of, of, you know, thrashing out a deal, getting in touch with Dai, which, you know, everyone's found difficult over the last six months or so. Um, what type of deal that, you know, would would, would, would suit. And, um, you know, these things take time. It's not going to be an overnight overnight change. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely interest in Reading. It's just whether they can sort any kind of deal out. Yeah, I mean... That's one of the things that I've definitely noticed over the last week or so is the fact that whenever you see kind of media articles now from, I mean, The Athletic or the BBC or The Mail or anywhere, really, and they're discussing bad ownership, Reading has all of a sudden become kind of, you know, the first port of call. It's the first um, first club named every time now, pretty much, isn't it? And it, it, kind of goes, yeah, it goes to show that all of a sudden, like, media attention is out there now. Oh, yeah. The more eyes and ears on it, the better. I mentioned again on TalkSport today. It's twice, I think, this week. So it's getting out there into the into the wider domain. And, um, you know, the more the more eyes and ears, the better. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and I guess that's ultimately why there's going to be more disruption and more protests going forwards, because that that is what drives media attention. Um, looking forward, I guess, to the game, James. We've got 
Burton Albion at home this weekend. We haven't even discussed the on-field stuff, and we're you know almost ten minutes into this podcast. But yeah, looking forward to the actual game this weekend. We've got Burton Albion at home, and it kind of brings back not great memories. Let's be honest, of yeah. uh, Burton Albion at home, does it? No, the big match that five hundred is the first one. Obviously, it springs to mind and. Probably the worst own goal. Was it an own goal in the end? It was Chris Gunter was tackled oh. on the halfway line and it ended up going back to Minone or All something. It was probably is... the most symbolic goal I've ever seen in, in real life. It, it rolled past Vita Minone at the speed mm. of an absolute snail. It was, it was very <laughs> depressing to watch that goal. Um, Burton aren't doing incredibly well this season so far. They've only actually won one game in the league. And, uh, you know, they're only, I think they've only won six points so far. They're, they're only just above us on the table despite all of our deductions. And, mm. It, it, it feels like it's another one where Reading can kind of go out and, and hopefully win another home game and, and really utilise that home form to their advantage. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to say must win. Obviously, it's only bloody August or September, sorry. But no, you've these are the games you've got to win. Uh, I know they've picked up of late. I think they've got four points the last couple of games. But, you know, Burton at home is one you'd have earmarked as, as, a, as a game you should be winning, um, no matter what's going on really around it. And the, the players have shown they are capable of putting, you know, the other issues to one side. Uh, and playing out on the pitch, and hopefully that's another thing we can get tomorrow with what should be a bumper crowd with um, the family game. And are we expecting kind of any changes? You think James after the last weekend? Obviously, the four-one loss at Blackpool wasn't it wasn't great on the pitch. On the pitch, so there's definitely I think going to be hope amongst some fans that we do see some changes. Are we kind of what are you thinking in terms of changes? Who would you be mixing up this weekend? Yeah, a few potential changes. I mean. It, obviously, he won't move from his four-two-two-two. That'll be, you know, pretty solid. There have been many calls to bring back the more experienced players. Not something I necessarily agree with, um, but you know, still, still people calling for it nonetheless. Um, but other than that, no, I think just voices, them... though, isn't it? Pardon? It's the same voices, though, isn't it? Calling well, yeah, okay, yeah. There's there's three or four particular people that are calling for it, um, <laughs> but. Um, no, I mean, I, I think I'd go with more or less the same same group of players. Maybe you um, bring Wing in from the start, get his first sort of minutes under his belt properly. Um, and I think we need to see more from Kelvin after Saturday. I thought he didn't get in the game at all. Um, and is, is there any indication about Sam Smith or Kamara coming back into the team yet, do you think? Yeah, not yet. I think they're another couple of weeks away at least. Um, so we're going to have to make do with what we've got, which, you know, we beat Exton 9-0, so should be enough to, to scrape a win against Burton, but, you know, you never know. It's uh, always an interesting one to have to predict. Well, on that subject, I guess, let's try and predict the weekend. I'm I, I'm going to go first. Um, I'm going to follow Paul's tactic of I'm just going to predict a win because that's what I want to see happen. So <laughs> I'm going to go for a 1-0 win to Reading. I'm going to go 2-1 win. And I, I, I don't see us keeping another clean sheet. That's us. That is us jinxing it right there, and it's going to be a. Uh, we're going to see a. We're going to see a two-one loss, aren't we? With the, uh, with another repeat deja vu and goal from a few years ago from that five hundred game. But fingers crossed, we don't. Obviously, <laughs> that would be quite disappointing. Thank you very much, James, for joining us. Um, I've got Ed Walker on the other side of the break, so stay tuned and get the lowdown on Burton Albion. Hello and welcome back to the Elm Park Rules podcast preview show. Been joined now by Ed Walker, who is a Burton fan. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Hope you are yourself, Alex. Uh, not too bad, you know. It's a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> Do what you can as a as a Reading fan. The situation we're in, yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of one of those never, never really gonna, never really gonna be a great week, is it, at the moment as a Reading fan? But trying to power through to the weekend and mm. you know get to another, get to one more league game. Um, you're here to give us a bit of a lowdown on Burton, how they're doing this season, kind of what we should be expecting, and you know what what Reading fans need to look out for this weekend when we when we host Burton. Uh, James Earnshaw, who was the Reading journalist, and I were just discussing kind of previous Reading versus Burton games, and the one that sprung to mind was four or five years ago when when tickets were five pounds at Reading, and it was a terrible, uh, terrible two-one loss, I think, to Burton. Yeah, Flanagan and Naylor, if I remember right, to Burton. I wasn't at that game, but I do remember it happening. I think it was. Is it all around Boxing Day? I think kind of around the turn it, of the year, it was wasn't December. it? December. It was just before Christmas, I think, yeah. from memory. Yeah, it was uh, not a fun one, but. Yeah, I'm hoping not for this, not for a repeat of that this weekend. Um, but I mean, if we look at your current away form this season so far, you you've got a win away from home. But I think it's been a bit of a struggle this season so far, really, hasn't it? You've only just picked up your first kind of win of the season in the last week or so. Yeah, the season's been really annoying. Um, we all kind of think we really could and should probably be doing a bit better because League One this year, we've all kind of felt has been an opportunity for some of the. The outsiders, there's no real massive big hits. We've had three great sides come up. There's usual suspects at the top, but they're taking a while to get going. So you look at the situation that Stevenage, for instance, or Port Vale are in. We kind of felt pre-season there might have been a bit of hope doing that. You go back to the, the end of last season, second half of the campaign, really positive record, top half record over the second half of the season. They've got them out of the relegation trouble they were in into the summer. Loads of positive recruitment, players liking it. Um, Burton fans liking it, there were neutrals liking it, feeling quite positive about Burton's chances. And then they go and proceed to take eight games to win the first league game of the season. So it's been a slog so far and it's uh, it, it's not going the way we hoped at the minute. I think we would want definitely want more points on the board than we currently have. I guess what uh, the key question, I guess, is what's what's been the major issue with those eight games so far? Because to me, I mean, when you just look at the results, it, it just comes across like Burton is conceding way too many goals. I think you're at like 14, 15 goals conceded so mm. far. I think it's it's really tricky to know. There's there's a couple of factors. I think one personally, we've had a, a negative tactical setup for most of those games. Dino Mamri, our manager, has been persisting with a kind of 3-4-2-1 which was quite common last year when they were a relegation battler and every point mattered and the objective was clear but then you come into this season where the objective's not quite clear on what they want to do so the motivation level just isn't there to the same level with the players and then you add in the fact that Cole Stockton the main number nine the guy who's supposed to be the main goal scorer this season gets injured in the first week of the season hasn't been back since so you're trying to play a quite direct 3-4-2-1 with guys who are essentially supporting strikers rather than actual focal points in the team and it's just not quite clicked. I think what's happened recently is there's been a little change of shape, an injury to John Braith of the club captain's Thor sat, so he's gone from a back thigh to a back Thor. Much better use of the wingers that there are in the team, like Quadro Bar, like Mason Bennett, like Josh Gordon, like um, Bezla Bar as well, for instance. And it's had a more positive effect recently. I think we're currently, if we include the CFL Trophy game we played on Tuesday night, it's a three-game unbeaten run at the moment, two of those wins, and it's it's a bit more positive than what it was previously, certainly. But it's just been kind of a forced change with... Uh... You know, with the captain captain getting injured, you kind of been forced into that change. So it's it'll be. Do you, how long is he out for? Is it one way? It's it's a period of time. It's going to be a couple of months. I I kind of hope Dino realizes this is what we need because Braithard, if we're truthful, is a player coming towards the end of his time in the club. Anyway, he's in his mid thirties now. He's been a long, long servant to the team, but he always is one of those that you don't want a winger going up against him in the modern game because he's he's going to go past him pretty much all the time, really. 
yeah, we we don't tend to play with too much whip. So thankfully, I think he probably would have been okay this weekend. Uh, however, we are you know blessed with a lot of pace. When you look at Burton's kind of you know current squad, it, it, I think it does look as you say. Uh, when you when you look at the transfer uh, window from summer and you look at the squad now, I think it looks like a re- reasonably good squad. I, like, I was really impressed that you got Mason Bennett coming in. I, I was very impressed mm-hmm. with with Jamal Blackman as a signing. And it looks like a, a good squad. What's kind of a good season for Burton then? I know you were talking about, you know, League One. And I agree, League One is, it's not full of heavy hitters this year. And actually there is an opportunity for those teams kind of around you know, the Burton level, the Stevenage level of, of club size to go on and, and make a push for a playoff spot potentially at the end of the year. But what's kind of a, what's considered a good season for, for Burton pre-season and what's a good season now? I think before a ball was kicked, the objective was basically to improve last year. 15th place, I think, was the finish at the end. 50-something points, two points off the top half of the table. And I remember the talk in the first couple of weeks of the season was kind of like, we want to avoid what we've had last year, which was a horrific start, really poor performance. They picked up one point in the first seven games last season, ended up in a relegation battle for the first half of the campaign especially and got out of it in the second half. So there was a desire to get away from that, potentially the idea of pursuing playoffs maybe, but the way this has started... We're looking over our shoulder, sadly, and it's a bit annoying. Yes, Burton are 20th at the moment, but I'm not feeling too good about the fact that you look at the 14th below, you've got yourselves and Wigan who are on points deductions, you've got Fleetwood who have their owner in jail, and you've got Cheltenham having scored a goal, and that's what's keeping Burton out of relegation at the minute. So it's it's not been the start we've wanted, but Dino Mamre himself has acknowledged that, and he knows this has got to get a lot better before the season's up. I mean, you've had Dino Mamre in charge now since what uh, early, early last year. I think he came in last early September. September, yeah. From from Hasselbank at the time, what's the kind of feeling around memory? I mean, obviously you're talking around the fact that he pulled you out of the relegation battle last year, and if the aim is to improve this year, how how kind of safe is his position if you do find yourself in a relegation battle again this year? Uh, I wouldn't say that's safe. It, it's it's a situation you find a lot of clubs really. Um, you go back to the start of the season, everyone was really positive on him, really bright start. The, I think we had a top 10 record to the, basically from the moment he took over last September, so it was really positive. But as I think it is the case really with any manager, if you start poor and it takes a long, winless run, you look like you're looking like one of the worst teams in the league, the pressure goes on to you. And there were some games where we were coming out of with quite loud vocal booing about the performance level, the actual results, the fact that it felt like they were performing well below the general expectations. So if we're in another relegation battle again and it, it doesn't look like it's going to get out of it, uh, it, it could be a problem for him. He, his position's not that strong at the moment. He hasn't got that longevity that Nigel Clough, for instance, has here. That's interesting because I like I, I always consider Burton, I guess it's because of somebody like Nigel Clough who, who was there for a long time, even mm. Hasselbank, you know, to an extent. They've, they've only sacked two managers since the year 2000. And that's kind of where I'm, yeah. that's kind of where I was sitting with like, it's one of those, Burton's always come across as one of those clubs to me where it's the manager is in a very safe spot unless something goes incredibly It's just wrong. matching results, generally. If, if it's steady progression, yeah, they get the time, absolutely. And more often than not, um, Rowett when he was thirsty, Hasselbank when he was thirsty, Cloth when he was thirsty, most managers have actually moved on to other jobs rather than let it go. I guess ultimately a lot of them, then you kind of see Burton as a, as a stepping stone, more as a... More as a long-term opportunity for somebody, it's, it, it, at least for managers, seen as a second zone. With, as you say, Clough and Rowett and 
Yeah, I'd argue that. And I think there's an argument to that with players as well. It's a, a little bit of frustration that you can't keep hold of your talent. But I think for Burton, who cannot generate huge match day revenue compared to your Derby Cowboys, your Portsmouth or Shuttle Wednesday were down here, for instance, we've got to generate revenue another way. So our thing is kind of picking up talent from release from Category 1, Category 2 academies, developing them in their early 20s. Hopefully send them on for profits. And that's a model we've started to use over the last three years. And it, it's how we're going to generate funds in a league where... You just can't generate it on a match day when you're Burton Albion and your average crowd's about two, two and a half thousand. It is the only way to really compete, I guess, mm. with uh, with the team that's big. When you, I think there'll be a lot of, <laughs> there'll probably be a lot of Reading fans out there who will be very kind of surprised, I think, to hear that Burton get, as you say, two, two and a half thousand fans. It's it's a club which is, I guess, much smaller than a lot of the clubs in this and division. A really competitive area. You've got to remember, we've got Derby up the road, Nottingham up the road, you've got Birmingham in the other direction, you've got the Stoke on Trent clubs in the same county, Nottingham's in the region. And this is a club that has spent 60-odd years in the non-league system before entering the Football League in the early 2010s. So against institutions that have been going through 100-plus years, it's it's a challenge at the minute to try and increase the fan base. And the club do do great work in the community to get people in the Burton area invested in the team. But it's it's a long-term process, and it will only be seen generations down the line, really, when you see that progression. Yeah, I can definitely, uh, definitely appreciate that. Reading, what, 30 years ago, we're getting four or 5,000 fans, and now we get... 10, 12, 15, depending on who, who the opponent is. Um, where where should we look in terms of the squad for this weekend, Ed, in terms of positive areas for Burton? Where where can you hurt Reading? What's well, kind key, of an area where you're really strong? The key man for me uh, is at the back, and it's on number five, Sam Hughes, our player of the season last year. Burton are a team that for the last two years have been built on a very big set-piece threat. So you have the, the long throwing of our fullback, Tom Hamer. You have the in-swing delivery from Joe Powell, one of our deep line midfielders. Sam Hughes is always the target. What will often happen is he'll drift off to the back post, head the ball back across, and the carnage just ensues from there, really, as it goes deeper into the box. So he's a monster in both boxes. We had a period last January where he was out for a week, and in three games they shipped 10 goals. And it was no coincidence that it was because he was unavailable. He's that integral to the team at the minute. Sadly, his regular partner, Jasper Moon, has picked up a bit of a knock recently. I think he might sadly miss his game, so it might be Ryan Sweeney, a more natural left-footed defender, has to play alongside him. But Hughes is definitely one of the key figures in both boxes to Burton. I'd mentioned Joe Powell in there as well. Um, naturally brought in... A few years back now from West Ham United as an attacking midfielder, he's found a new role at the base of midfield where you realise he's very good at shielding the ball, picking it up on the edge of the box and carrying it forwards through midfield, trying to distribute further forwards. He's a key man with a set-piece delivery as well, in swinging with that left foot. And then I'd also isolate Mark Helm as well, one of our more attack-minded midfielders picked up last January from Burnley, had a really positive impact in the second half of last season, likes drifting into left-hand channel, one of the few players in the team that's best at getting on the ball, getting past his man, and he's one that we're looking at to be one of the really key figures in the team this campaign. So it's interesting, you've kind of named multiple midfielders and, and defenders there, but no striker because obviously Cole Stockton's injury. Who's who's mm. going to play up front in, in place of Cole Stockton, do you think? Uh, the last couple of league games, it's been Bez Labala. It's, it's been a front three of Beryl Labala, um, Quadrobar on one side, and then normally Mustafa Carriol, for instance, playing on the left. So more natural wingers, you'd say. I think Labala was actually excellent in the win at Port Vale um, 10 days ago. He was, he was really impressive in that. But it's you're kind of operating with what I consider supporting forwards. So it might be Josh Gordon, for instance, who had a very good season last year at Barrow, but always felt like someone to be the more the supporting cast or playing off on the right rather than being the main focal point up there. So we're, kind of, we're all just kind of twiddling our thumbs at the minute thinking, does Stockton come back and this all just clicks and we suddenly get really, really good again? Because Stockton can be 
a really lethal goal scorer at this level. It was two years ago he came third in the Golden Boot race with twenty one. Yeah, and that was that was with Morecambe, and you yeah. know ended up they were in that relegation battle all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if he comes back, it's one of those one of those moments where you can see Burton's clicking straight away. Potentially. You hope so, certainly. And then in terms of the other direction, where where could Reading look to exploit Burton potentially this weekend? I would potentially wonder about the threat of switches of play and the um, general counter-attacking play. We do like to get our fullbacks quite harpied. We are leading a press. So it might be Steve Seddon up the left-hand side, who I think is actually from Reading, if I remember right. I think he's from the local area. He might well have been Reading as a youth player, but he's definitely more known for his time at, at Birmingham, for instance. And then probably Tom Hamer up the right-hand side. If they can get caught high, you expose the centre-backs. And Ryan Sweeney at left centre-back is certainly someone you want to expose because he's not got a great amount of speed to him and not a great turning circle himself. So if you can isolate him in a channel, you've got a good chance of getting past him and getting a shot on goal. Switches of play, I think, are what can really help if you've got the wide pitch that can work it out to one side and then attack quickly, get a ball across. There is a certain... It's not exactly rock-solid defensive solidity this Burton team has at the moment. We kind of, we're kind of relying on being able to create opportunities because we know we're just not quite sure we're going to be able to keep it out at the other end of the moment. Yeah, I think, uh, as, I, as I said earlier, you've, it's 14 goals. I, I, I don't know how many clean sheets that is, but have you had any clean sheets this season yet so far? Uh, there was a nil-nil with Wickham, and this is actually... I probably should have mentioned this guy in the key players, Max Crocombe at the moment, um, our Kiwi goalkeeper, picked him up from Grimsby. We started the season with Jamal Blackman, who was supposedly the number one based on pre-season performances. It didn't work out for him to start. He picked up an injury away at Shrewsbury. Crokin came in and he's not looked back. He has been a string of exceptional performances. He was superb in the win at Port Vale. He was superb in the 0-0 draw with Wickham Wanderers. Basically, every positive result we've had so far this season, he's made key saves at key points. So he'll be important again for this weekend. That's a, that's an interesting one. Hopefully, then we can get some kind of a few big chances rather than just relying on on the one or two to uh, to fall to us. And then the last question Ed, for you is: What is your score prediction for this weekend? Oh, I hate doing these. I know everybody hates doing <laughs> these. Never land. So let let's go out there and let's say three all. Three let's go all out. All. Let's go. Let's go out there and go with a crazy six goal thriller. Why not? That would be a, that would be a fun one. Uh, I mean, I I gone with a two 0 Reading win, but I'm. Um, it's tricky to judge the situation with Reading. It's kind of, I think we're kind of looking at this maybe wrongly going, well, this is one of the teams below us, so we should really be targeting a positive result here at the very least. So, But I'm also aware that Reading, without the deductions, are actually perfectly fine this year, and I've been quite impressed with how they've started the season with their performances of the young players. So I'm wary of what's coming for us this weekend. At the, at the, it's not the Medeski anymore, is it? It's the FDL. Select Carly's. Select Carly. Yeah, I prefer Medeski. I'm still going to call it that. We all call it Medeski as well. And we'll be back uh, for after the game at the Medeski on Saturday uh, with the roundup. Paul will be joined by some other Reading fans. I don't actually know who's joining Paul this weekend, I'll be honest. But Paul, Paul will be hosting the roundup after this weekend's game on Sunday. It will be on your podcast feeds on Sunday lunchtime. So make sure you check it out. If you enjoyed today's podcast, do drop us a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you very much, Ed, for joining us today. Best of luck to Burton for the rest of the season on Saturday. Pleasure, Alex. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will speak to you all very soon. Cheers.